Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit of revelation here. Thank you, Lord. Let there be spirit to spirit revelation that takes place today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We have ears to hear what you're saying. Thank you, Jesus. We bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We cover this place with the blood of Jesus. Do your work today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that all the building blocks that have been placed in people's hearts, they would come into alignment today. There would be such a clear understanding of their assignment and what it is that you're doing right now in the world. Father, I pray for the coming together of everything, Lord, that's been taught that would be alignment. We would know there would be such clarity today. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You said that you would guide us into all truth. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, come in such power today. We ask in the name of Jesus. We welcome all the angels of heaven. Load this place right now. Come and teach us. Come and be alongside us in the name of Jesus. Invigorate the hearts of your people. Let them come alive today. Let there be a witness in the spirit today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I've been, um, as I've been reading the Bible over the last few weeks, this thought's been coming to me about trumpets. I don't play a trumpet. But uh, the Lord's been highlighting the, the word trumpet to me. And trumpet is symbolic of a message that goes forth from heaven to earth. It's an awakening of expectation. It's an announcement of great events that are about to transpire, sent from heaven to earth. God is about to do something amazing on the planet. And I pray today that my voice is like a trumpet, that it releases something. There's a great event about to happen in your life. I believe that by God's Spirit, He's giving me the ability today to bring it all together. I had a picture of a bag and it being tied up neatly at the top, like a pull cord. And what's going to happen is that I, we've been talking about the tabernacle and how the tabernacle is a picture of man. 50 chapters in the Bible on the tabernacle, it's a picture of man coming into freedom or jubilee. And so it's a revelation of what, like Shay said, what God wants to do in us to get us ready for the greatest harvest that has ever come. And so we've talked about that and about the Garden of Eden and how everything in creation is a picture of what takes place in the tabernacle and that God's mandate that wasn't fulfilled in the garden is about to be fulfilled right now. I said to you last week, if you're taking notes, that Eden is a place or it's a garden, a sphere of influence and a kingdom expression that is to be protected and expanded under your delegated leadership until heaven's agenda is accomplished. Eden is a representation of your assignment on planet Earth. Now, the Bible says that the church, we are called the church or the ecclesia. And that, that term was taken from the Senate of that day when the king would call them together. 
And they would come from all different places of the nation, representing all what we would call the mountains of society. And the king would share with the Senate his heart for the nation. And they would pick up his heart and they would go out and they would begin to implement the king's desire. And I have a conviction in my heart, and we're, we're seeing it right around the world. People are emailing us about, from, about the message that's going out from here, that God is doing something to reshift the, the focus of the church. We've been, as a whole, the church focused on salvation and survival. But God has a focus of discipling nations. And we're going to see such a paradigm shift in the church where it's not going to be just a mindset where we get saved and we hold on until Jesus comes and everything's going to get darker. But there's going to come such a revelation that we are on this planet for such a time as this to shift and change the whole atmosphere over society. The kingdom of God is going to come in its fullness and God's going to give us a strategy to take cities and nations. And it's in my heart. Is it in your heart? And so we talked about last, over the last few weeks about Eden and what took place there. And we can see how Adam and Eve failed and what we need to do to get ready for our assignment. Do you remember last week I told you about the relationship between the man and the woman, which is a picture in Scripture of the relationship between, obviously, Jesus and the church, but also about your spirit and your soul. Whenever you see man and woman, it's a picture of the soul and the spirit, or the spirit and the soul. And that's why you see in the scripture that Jesus or, or even the Father right through scripture, you don't see women being healed of blindness and you don't see men being healed of barrenness. Because sight comes from the spirit and the ability to bring to, to fullness that which God gives us comes through our soul. Our soul has the means to abort what the Spirit gives. And so we see Adam and Eve uh, assigned together in the garden. Adam as a picture of the Spirit. Eve, who comes out of Adam, is a picture of the soul. And when what God joins together, no man can separate. There's a coming together of spirit and soul in the life of every believer. We're beginning to understand how our spirit man functions and how our soul functions and how they come together to produce great fruitfulness. You can't have a baby without a woman, and you can't have a baby without a man. And the church has not seen that. We've either operated out of the soul or out of the spirit, and the two haven't come together. Now, we see in the garden that Eve is on her own when Satan comes. And I told you that deception takes place in the soul, never the spirit. If she had been with Adam, she would have been safe. The serpent would never have come against Adam because he heard directly from the Lord. Eve got it secondhand from Adam. The serpent came and deceived Eve. Deception takes place in the soul. So I I know that, that if I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I'm a soulish believer, I'm prone to get deceived from the enemy. So run to Adam. Don't be a person of the flesh, be a person of the spirit. For this, what we're about to do, the enemy will take you out if you don't learn to walk in the spirit every day. If you don't cultivate the the tree of life as the centerpiece, for the tree of life was, was created in the center of the garden. So that tells us we are to walk by the spirit. We can't survive in this day and age without being 
totally consumed with walking in the spirit, without bringing our soul into alignment with our spirit. So our soul is understanding what God is saying and functioning together. Are you hearing me? There's no time to be soulish anymore, walking in the flesh, walking in carnality. The enemy will take you out. But I tell you what, if we get joined to Adam, if we begin to walk in the spirit, you are bulletproof. Should I say that again? You cannot get taken out when you walk in the realm of the spirit. If you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will not be taken out. You will not burn out. You will not get discouraged. You will not be taken out because you are an impregnable person when you are covered in the realm of the spirit. You want to overcome all the stuff that's coming against you? Walk in the Spirit. Wait upon the Lord. Rest in Him. You're in a place, the Bible says, that we are hidden in His tabernacle. No evil shall befall you. It doesn't mean nothing will go wrong. It doesn't mean it, it means it won't get inside you. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear Him. Again, it doesn't mean that you will have nothing wrong in your life. Again, I say to you, it means nothing wrong will get inside you. What's he guarding? Your circumstances or your heart? Primarily your heart. You will have tribulation, but don't fear. He's overcome. So I want you to turn with me to Genesis 3.14. Because we're, we're right now about to return to the garden mandate. I'm going to unpack this for you. It's going to be amazing. But before we get there, Genesis 3.14. We're about to return, but this time Adam and Eve are going together. They're going to face off against the devil like Jesus did in the wilderness. You, my friend, are going to come up against the evil one in all the different mountains of society in your calling. But this time, you're going to go as a fully redeemed person, whole in your soul, whole in your spirit, walking in the power of God, and the enemy will not take you out. Genesis 3.14, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are more cursed than all the cattle. And isn't it great to know that the devil's cursed? And more than any beast of the field, and you'll be on your belly. You will eat the dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Listen to this. And he shall bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. Don't you love that? Our assignment right now is to jump on the devil's head so much that you crush his head and bruise your feet. We're going back into the garden and instead of talking to the devil, instead of allowing him to deceive us, we're going to stamp on his head until it's crushed. The head represents the mindset. It represents all the thinking and the things that he's set up all across society, his corruption, his wisdom. The body of Christ is going to come as a mighty army and we're going to so crush his head, it may hurt our foot, but because it's a sign that we crush his head so badly that our foot is bruised are you hearing this he is going to be crushed before Jesus comes to take us home he's coming for a bride that's put mortal damage on the enemy's head he's going to be so wounded and so beaten up that he'll be pleading for Jesus to take us home (laughs) sit at my right hand till I make all your enemies your footstool See, when, when a baby's born, a normal birth, the head goes first and the feet come last. And we are the feet generation. We're the ones that come out 
and we're ready to crush his, his head. And so everything that the enemy did to damage Adam and Eve, it's going to be reversed. There's going to be a return to the garden mandate. And this time, we're going to nail it. So as you read the Genesis account, there's a blueprint that gives us insight into how God's going to redeem it and what he's going to do in your life and my life to restore the Eden mandate. Do you know the Bible says in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 that God declares the end from the beginning. So as we read Genesis, we get insight into what God is doing right now. Did you hear that? Everything in Genesis 1, 2 and 3, as you read it, it unpacks how God is going to function right from the beginning of time to the end. He has shown us his plan and he shows us what his end time church will look like in the last days. All in the book of Genesis. 2 Peter 3, 8 says that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. So God's given us codes. He says, if you go back into Genesis, I'll show you what my church will look like. I'll show you how they're functioning. I'll show you what I'm going to do in their life. I'll show you what they will look like when they crush the head of the enemy. I'm interested in that. I want to know what sort of church Jesus is coming back for. And let me tell you something you may not have thought about. He's coming back really soon. And I thought I'd get that response because most Christians don't want him to come back. But that's another story. We don't want him interfering with our life. We've got plans. I say to my kids, but you know what? The moment you get to heaven, you'll never think about your lousy plans again. <laughs> but he's coming back real soon. I'll, I'll give you a tip. If you don't want to go to heaven, there is another place. It's called hell. And that's just as real as heaven. But Jesus is coming back real soon for his church. Amen. That should excite you. See, all, all the New Testament scriptures, this is the glorious hope that we have, that we will be with him and we will be as him. We'll be like him. We'll see him face to face. It is the glorious hope of every believer. You think of the most amazing feeling that you've ever had on this planet with God, multiply that by infinity and you're only beginning to get a drop in the ocean of what's going to take place the moment we walk into heaven. I'm telling you, my friend, this will make the, the earth look like a B-grade movie. But we have an assignment before we get there. So, a day is as a thousand years. And we see from the book of Genesis that the Lord gave mankind a lease on the earth for 6,000 years. Six days he created the earth, and on the seventh it was a day of rest. And many theologians believe that that day of rest is the millennium rest when Jesus comes, takes his children home, and there's a thousand-year rest where we rule and reign with him. But it's interesting as you begin to trace the Genesis account because... On the second day, it's a picture of Adam to Abraham. On the fourth day, it's a picture from Abraham to Jesus. And on the sixth day, it's a picture of the time span between Jesus and where we are right now. 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, 2,000 years approximately from Jesus 
to where we are now. Rick Joyner said, in the writings of the early church fathers, it seems like this timetable was understood by everybody. It was believed that when the, the apostles of the early church talked about being in the last days, it was in reference to the last day of the prophetic week. So on the second day, God separated the waters on earth from the waters in the heavens. And so they believe that this is a picture of what took place under the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, Galatians 4 tells us that there was a heavenly Jerusalem and a earthly Jerusalem, a covenant made with the uh, slave woman and a covenant made with Sarah, the woman who was under grace and the other woman that was under the law. So there was a separation of the waters between heaven and earth, the separation of the covenants. In fact, in Abraham, we have the very beginnings of the gospel. I don't know how it all happened, but because Abraham went to sacrifice his son and didn't withhold his son, it gave legal right for Jesus to come 2,000 years later. What Abraham did that opened up something in the spirit realm that gave Jesus access in. Abraham looked forward and he rejoiced at the coming of Jesus. There was a connection on what happened in the life of Abraham and salvation for mankind. It opened up the difference between the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. All on the second day. On the fourth day, we see two lights created, the greater light and the lesser light. The greater light, which is the sun, which is the rule over the day, and the lesser light, the moon, which is the rule over the night. The moon is a reflection of the sun. Jesus is the sun, Malachi says, with, who will rise with healing in his wings. We are the moon, which is a reflection of the sun. The moon is to rule at night time. So we will be a light that reflects in a dark world. Are you hearing me? And so what happens is in the, in the uh, fourth day, there is a transformation. The, first sec the second day is about salvation. The fourth day is about transformation of the church. We will begin to think and to feel and to choose like the sun. And because of that, we will bring light and revelation into a dark world. Can you see the progression? God is not just interested in getting you saved and getting bums on seats, pardon the expression, but he wants you saved and then he wants you transformed. He wants you thinking, feeling and choosing like him. Are you hearing me? We will never take the garden without the second day and without the fourth day. People who are saved don't take gardens. People who are saved and are transformed. But on the sixth day, we see that man is given dominion over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, and the cattle on the earth. These second, fourth, and sixth day are all found in the tabernacle, in the outer court, the holy place, in the holy of holies. It's an amazing picture. God shows you in the tabernacle what, was taken, what happened in creation. And it's a picture of what he's going to do in your life and he's doing right now. On the sixth day, he created the fish of the sea. And we know fish in the sea talk about humanity. Jesus said, I'll make you fishes of men. And so we see that picture that God's going to give the church the ability to lead the people on the planet, to exercise leadership. This is what it means to 
exercise the Eden mandate. The church will not only be transformed, but they will come into a place now of, on the sixth day of spiritual dominion where they will lead the people over the birds of the air. What do the birds of the air represent? People, birds represent principalities. So we've got the fish of the sea, the people, the birds of the air, principalities and powers. We will take authority over all the works of the enemy. There will be a clash of kingdoms in the last days and we shall reign. We will bring down strongholds and powers. You will see more and more and more people set free from demons, delivered, totally set free. Birds, fish and the cattle on the ground. It's interesting. Three dimensions. People, principalities and possessions. We're going to have leadership over the possessions of the earth. Not just people leading people, not just authority over principalities, but we're going to exercise the right to distribute all the possessions on the planet. This is all in the sixth day. What does the church look like in the last days? Authority over the fish, the birds and the cattle. Does anybody want that? The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that's stood and hid and mixed in three measures of flour. The second, the fourth, and the sixth day, all mixed together to produce the most glorious church. Are you getting this in your spirit? It's all about progressive revelation. As you go into the tabernacle, remember in the outer court there is natural light. In the holy place, there is a light from the lampstand. But in the holy of holies, we see the light of the glory of the Lord. We're beginning to see in greater dimensions. Do you remember when you go to the tabernacle, there is uh, the, the, the gate that walks into the tabernacle. It's 20 cubits wide and 5 cubits high. 100 square cubic meters. And then you walk into the holy place and it's... Not 20 by 5, but it's 10 by 10. The same dimensions, the same Jesus, but seen now in a higher dimension. It's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus at salvation as it is at transformation, then dominion. But we're beginning to see him in a higher dimension. We're beginning to see him as he truly is. We're beginning to see ourselves as not just saved, but transformed and exercising incredible dominion. I had a dream and uh, in this dream I went and I saw my auntie, my auntie, my sister-in-law and uh, she's a lawyer. She is in real life but in my dream I went to see her and she had all these hundred dollar notes and she was fanning them out showing me how much money she had. I thought well that's cool and uh, I was dressed in a suit so it was a dream (laughs) and uh, I had a number of friends, young, we're all young, and dressed in these suits, and we were all young lawyers. And we're looking at that thinking, that's what I want. And the scene changed, and I found myself in the Sheridan. In fact, not just in the Sheridan, but in the, if you've ever been to the Sheridan, I was in the area where you have your buffet breakfast. And that's a sight to behold. And I remember walking in there with my buffet ticket. And I walked and I plonked myself down in the chair and the, and the, the manager of the, of the place came up and she said to me, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I've got my buffet ticket. And she said to me, do you have a room here? And I said, no. She said, well, you can't eat here. 
I said, I've got my ticket. She said, no, you'll have to leave. And I said to her, you won't hear the end of this. I will make your name like mud. I will tell everybody that you are disgraceful, that this place is disgraceful, and they threw me out. So I was joined by my uh, colleagues, my young friends, and we walked to a cheap shop and we began to shopping there, just junk stuff. And I woke up and I think, God, what are you saying to me? And this is what I heard the Lord say. There's a lot of Christians, and, and, and the Christians are a picture of lawyers. We, we know that we have certain rights in the kingdom. And we're coming into the buffet because we want to eat of all the provisions of the kingdom, but we haven't paid the price to stay in the house. And because of that, we've been ejected, and now we're angry with the owner, and we're trying to discredit him. See, what happens is in the church, we have heard God's intention for the church. And because many Christians have stayed at a salvation mindset, it hasn't worked in their life and they've got cross. And now they're angry with God. And so it's so important that we go through the second, fourth and sixth day process. See, there is a misunderstanding of the gospel of grace that is coming into the world right now. You know my heart, I've preached on grace for years. I believe that the moment when you get saved, it's all of God and none of us. The Bible says, ask, seek, and knock. Asking is easy. I want to be saved. It's all of his work. He does it all. He measured up for me. It's not my righteousness. It's his. So when God looks at me, he sees me totally clean. Despite my behavior, I, will be a, I can be a saved son, but a naughty son. I can be living however I like. I can be carnal, but I am a son. I am a son because when he looks at me, he's looking to see whether Jesus is in me. He's not looking at my behavior. He measured up for me. I have the righteousness of God because I'm in Christ. It's an amazing revelation. But it doesn't stop there. And so because we have this mindset that he's done it all for us, the mindset has infiltrated the church that because Jesus did it all for us at salvation, there's nothing left for us to do. That is dangerous. There's nothing left for you to do as far as being a son or being accepted. But there's everything for you to do in partnership to be transformed and to exercise dominion. See, God's idea is that you will get to a place where together you will make decisions that impact the world. There's everything for you to do. Don't lose your brain. Don't, don't check out and say, I'm saved. If it's to be, it's up to God. No, my friend, the moment you get saved, you'll walk into a greater dimension of the revelation of who you are and what God wants you to do. So you go through the outer court and it's all about his sacrifice, the brazen older. We think that is amazing. He measured up for me, but we don't camp there. God says, keep moving, keep moving, get into the holy place. And in the holy place, we begin to see there's something for me to do in this process. If I'm going to take the garden, see, if you do nothing, you will be taken out like Eve was with Adam. 
uh, in, in the garden. She, she was, her soul wasn't renewed. She was, she was weak in herself. And when the enemy came, he took her out. And my friend, if you do nothing to build up your soul, if you do nothing in transformation, he will take you out. You will go to heaven. You will be saved. But you will not achieve your assignment. And you will not be a light that reflects the sun. You will be a dim star, also known as a dimwit. So in the holy place, you know what I taught you? That there are three things in the holy place. There is the altar of incense. There is the golden lampstand. And there is the table of showbread. And they represent that I must change in my soul to get ready to exercise dominion. You cannot go from the outer court into the holy of holies. You must pass through the holy place. This is so important. If you want to exercise dominion and take your mountains, you will need to get your soul into alignment with your spirit man or else you will be taken out. So we, we surrender our emotions to him. The altar of incense. Remember I said when our, when our emotions are out of kilter, it tells me something about my belief system. Emotions reflect my belief system, but not always the truth. And so if my belief system's wrong, I go back, and they went back to the, the brazen altar. They got the coals. Remember, this is where Jesus died. They get the coals, and they mix it with the incense, and it changes the atmosphere of the holy place. So when my emotions are out of kilter, I go back. When, I, when I'm not feeling love, peace, and joy, I go back and I remind myself of the heart of Jesus for me. And as I do that and I meditate on it, my emotions begin to kick into line and the fragrance out of my life begins to change my atmosphere. If your emotions have not been healed by the Holy Ghost, you will not exercise dominion. You will feel sad, happy, all over the place. You can't rule and reign with emotions that are out of control. And I'm saying to you by the Spirit of God, He's coming to heal your emotions. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. No more love one day down the next. No more joy and depression. No more peace and then anxiety. He's coming to breathe upon you. And as you come into the secret place and wait upon him and meditate on his scripture, he will begin to change your emotions so you can rule with him. He comes in the golden lampstand and it talks to me about my mind is now being renewed. Do you know the big problem is that our spirit picks up what God is saying, but our mind cannot comprehend what our spirit, it's like one speaking French and one speaking English. There's no communication. So you say God's not speaking. I'm saying he's speaking, but your mind cannot comprehend what God is saying because it's not calibrated. So we begin to wait on the Lord and he renews the spirit of our mind so the spirit can land on our mind and begin to impregnate it with the thoughts of heaven the golden lampstand had no dimensions on it it was undefinable it says there's no limit to the way you can think 
You have the mind of Christ. There are thoughts that he has for you that are mind-boggling. So my mind has to be stretched. And I keep praying. It must look strange in my bedroom. I'm going like this. God, increase my mind. Cause me to see what you see. Take me out of the tent like you did Abraham. Cause me to look at the stars of the sky and to begin to dream like you do. Enlarge my mind. On the golden lampstand, there were these buds on each, on, on each uh, one of the uh, branches. You know, you know the story, the seven branches, there are 66 buds representing the scripture. If you take the middle stand and the three to the left, 39 buds which represent the old covenant. And on the right side, the other three lamps, there are 27 representing the new covenant. But each bud, there were clusters of three. And it represents 30, 60, and 100 fold. That as I renew my mind, I begin to get revelation of 30, 60, 100 fold blessing and increase. My friend, let your mind be renewed. That, that lamp was made out of one piece of gold that was beaten and fashioned until it was perfect. So I begin to subject my mind. I fashion it according to the word of God. You remember it says in Joshua chapter 1, if we meditate on the Lord day and night, you will make yourself successful. You've got to get into the Word. The tree of life has to be center in your life. You can't just dabble at it and then watch TV. You've got to begin to think about the Word. Get it inside you. Increase yourself because we're about to exercise dominion in Eden. If only Eve had have come with the word, because Satan twisted the word. If she had have come with the word that Adam received from God, she would have taken him out and crushed his head. And bruised his heels. So we do that in the holy place. Our emotions are renewed. Our minds renewed. And then the table of showbread, you know, there's 12 loaves, six by two. Ordered very carefully. We bring our will to him. And we surrender it to him. There's so much we could talk about that. And I've, you can go back and watch the podcast on these particular subjects. But the will is so important. We surrender it to him. Each of the loaves were made equal in size for each of the 12 tribes. Every part of your will has to be surrendered to him. They were watched by God 24-7. You can't say, God, I give you my will when it comes to healing, but not with finance. I give you my will when it comes to finance, but not with healing. I give you my will when it comes to forgiveness, but not in my marriage. Every part's going to be surrendered to him. And as we go through that place of working with Holy Spirit, this is not, this is not something I strive over. I actively partner with him. He begins to change me on the inside. Day four, the greater light and the lesser light working together to bring light to a dark world. Isn't that good? Yeah. And on the sixth day, Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Listen, have dominion over the fish, the birds and every living thing, every creep on the earth. Say, I have dominion over creeps. And God said in verse 31 that I saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. See, on the sixth day, it's going to be really good. I don't know about your theology for the last times, the last days, but this says 
in the last days, it's going to be really good. What God does is going to be amazing. Sea, fish. Now, it's interesting when you get into the Holy of Holies. You see, you can get in 20 by 5 into the outer court, 10 by 10 into the holy place. Yes, but in the Holy of Holies, there is no door. You've got to be supernaturally brought in. But as you go in there, there's the Ark of the Covenant and there are three things in the Ark. There is two tablets. Panadol and different. No, <laughs> two tablets, Ten Commandments. There is the Rod of Aaron and there is the Bowl of Manna. The fish in, of the sea. We will have the ability to exercise leadership among the people. Isn't it interesting that in the Ark... There are the Ten Commandments. We think of the Ten Commandments as rules that we have to live by. But you know, they represent something far greater. They represent kingdom laws to govern a nation. And as we come into the Holy of Holies, God is inviting you to receive of him wisdom and understanding, which is the Ten Commandments, to govern the people of the nations, the fish of the sea, I will give you dominion over. In your workplace, God is anointing you to bring wisdom to solve problems. You're remembered for two things in this world, the problems you created and the problems you solved. And so he's given us wisdom to come into situations and because we have Dominion from him on the sixth day, we shall rule. The sky, the birds of the air, Aaron's rod. I think of the rod that they used when they walked into Egypt. And the plagues came. And what were those plagues? Those plagues were a direct result of coming against principalities and powers that ruled in Egypt. Every one of those plagues took down a god. Or God of this world. And so we will pick up the rod and begin to exercise authority over principle. I know when I stand in my room and I begin to wage warfare, I can feel things shifting in the spirit over our church and over people and over the city because I have authority. Second, fourth, sixth day. And dominion over those things that creep on the earth. There's a bowl of manna, provision. Can you see this? It's all in the Ark of the Covenant, the sixth day. The ability to lead people, authority over the enemy, and the ability to distribute wealth is what is yours on the sixth day. And that's what Adam and Eve gave up in the garden. And it's all about to be reversed. Isn't it interesting that on the sixth day, Peter, James, and John... Go up in the mountain. Mountains in scripture are an invitation to go up into heaven. So on the sixth day, God's getting the church ready to function in the second, fourth, and sixth day anointing. The outer, the inner court, and the holy of holies, spirit, soul, and body will be in such alignment, such a powerful church, that we will walk up with Jesus and disappear with him on the mountain. And we'll hear the Father say, this is my beloved church. I am well pleased. And we'll be caught up in the air. Are you hearing? This is amazing. I'll finish with this. The Good Samaritan. 
Many of you have read the story about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a story about a man that leaves Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a picture of heaven. It's highly elevated. And he walks all the way down to Jericho. Jericho is a place of low descent. So up high, down low. It's a picture of Adam and Eve falling from their high lofty place. And now they're spiritually bankrupt and dead. Jericho is known as the bloody way where the robbers and the, and the, the killers are there waiting to take lives. The thief comes to kill, steal and destroy. And the Good Samaritan story goes on that there's a religious priest and a Levite that come past the man that's beaten up and half dead and they do nothing to help him. See, religion disempowers believers. It's the kingdom that empowers believers. Religion will leave you in your brokenness and you'll stagger to heaven, half dead. But the kingdom will say, rise up. Awaken out of your slumber. It's not enough just to be born again. Wake up. Wake up. Jesus died for you so that you would walk in dominion with him, in partnership with him. Anything less is an indictment on the cross. It wasn't just about salvation. It was about partnership. And all of creation is longing for somebody to get it. And so the Good Samaritan comes and he sees. It's a picture of Jesus. And his heart's moved with compassion. And he binds up this man with oil and wine, the picture of the work of the Spirit, puts him on his horse, brings him into his kingdom, and leads him to the inn, which is the church. And the innkeeper's there, which is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to the innkeeper, the Holy Ghost, I want you to take care of my church. I want you to nurse them back to fullness. I'm giving you two denarii to do the job. A denarii is the payment for a day's wage. You getting this? Two days you've got. I'm coming back in two days. I'm giving you two days worth. I'm giving you enough for two days. You take care of the church and then... I'm coming back. Are you getting this? He's giving us a timeline. He's saying, I'm coming back. I'm coming back for my church. I picked them up. I did what I needed to do. I brought them into the kingdom. Now, Holy Spirit, this is your job. With the church, nurse the earth back to health. And I'm coming back in two days. And he says, and if you need any more, put it on the master's card. What's he saying? He's saying, I will spend whatever it takes to get the church ready. I will invest all my anointing, all my resources, all my wisdom, particularly in the last days. I am going to pour out such favor and goodness and ability for you to get the job done. Hosea 6.1, as we close. Come and let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. After two days, he will revive the church. The trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise. And those who are alive and remain will be caught up with him. And in the third day, he will raise us up. And we will live in his sight. That's the seventh day of creation. 
We are right on the edge. So I tell my kids this again. Well, how many years have we got, Dad? I say, I'll get back to you. I don't know. I'm not quite sure, but I know that we're in this generational time where Jesus is coming back. We're in the time frame now. And, and one of the reasons I know that because revelation is shifting in the church from mere, and don't misunderstand, from mere gospel salvation. And it's transitioning now to the soul being restored and healed to a place where we're now looking to exercise dominion in every sphere of society. So we've had the gospel revelation. We've had the Father heart of God come with the Toronto revival. And God began to do a work in our soul. And now there's a shift again because God is getting his people ready to rule and reign before he returns. That's the restoration of the garden. Everything that Adam and Eve lost, you are going to get back. Give him a hand. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we say as a church, revive us, let the trumpet sound, awaken your people. Lord, I pray that you would make your bride ready, spotless without wrinkle, ready, ready, ready. Restore our souls, position us to walk in great favor, bringing leadership to mankind, exercising authority over the enemy and releasing untold wealth and distributing, distributing possessions all around the planet. Like you did with Joseph, you raised him up for such a time. I'm asking now, Father, that all this would begin to click in the hearts of your people. They would see the patterns. You're the one that calls things, Lord, before they even begin. You show the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You've already planned it out. And we're beginning to see, Lord, your amazing assignment for your end time church. We thank you that the heroes of faith have run before us. Hebrews 11, they've passed the baton. And now we find ourselves on the last leg. And we ask, Father, for supernatural ability and favor and courage, Lord, to embrace what we need to embrace to be transformed inside and to exercise the authority that you've given the church. So I prophesy over the church of Jesus Christ right now. And I say, hear the trumpet of the Lord as he sounds the alarm and says, get ready for there is a shift that is taking place from heaven to earth. I am about to pour out my spirit in a new way. I'm about to release blueprints that will totally revolutionize planet earth. So I say now, Father, by your spirit, let there come such a deep conviction in the hearts of your people that, Lord God, they would begin to see on a whole new level. I say to every baby, it's time to rise up and become full grown. I speak growth to you. I speak growth in the name of Jesus. God believes in you. That's why he's placed you here at this last day. He's assembled his best for last. And that's why the enemy has taunted you with such lies and accusations. 
conversations and told you that you're a misfit, that you're out of time and out of season. But the word of the Lord would rise up and remind you that nothing is by chance, that I created the heavens and the earth. And even as I formed creation so meticulously, I have positioned you in the sixth day to usher in the kingdom and bring in the seventh day rest. I've called you by name. I've positioned you for such a time as this. So I say to the church of Jesus Christ, rise up. I breathe life into you. I breathe insight and revelation all around the world. I say, rise up, rise up, rise up for this hour in Jesus' name. Father, I release by the authority that you've given me wisdom over your people to lead the nations. I release authority to bring down the strongholds of the enemy, principalities and powers over workplaces, government, family, over mindsets. We pull down every stronghold. And I release now the ability to distribute wealth and increase. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you today that you are healing emotions. You're healing the minds of your people. You're healing the will of people. And you're drawing people one after another after another into your kingdom. We thank you, Father. And we will be like Peter, James, and John. We will ascend with you up into the mountain. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We give you our lives this day. Why don't you lift your hands? We give you our lives. Transform us now, Father. In the name of Jesus. If there's anyone here today with every eye closed and you've never given your heart to Jesus, this would be a great day to do that. It's a beginning point. If you've never done that, you, just, you can do that right now wherever you sit. Just you can ask Jesus to come into your heart and to forgive you. The Bible says if we would believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we would be saved. He will come in and make his home in your heart. He will transform you from the inside out. Like he came to the, the man that was beaten up on the road. He's the good Samaritan who has compassion. He loves you. He will always love you. And if you feel him knocking on the door of your heart, you just need to let him in. Say, Jesus, come into my life and forgive me. For my own independent living, I receive you now as my Lord. And the moment you do that, you will be born again. He will make his home in your heart. So if you've never done that, why don't you do that today? Ask him into your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray for every member of your body, Lord, right here today. Strengthen them. Let them leave this place with fresh revelation and full of faith. Lord, no matter where we find ourselves, you are able to restore everything that's been broken all the bad decisions we've made, all the misunderstandings. You are the one that restores the years that the locust has chewed up. You make all things work together for good. So I ask, Father, encourage them. Cause them to see that you've called them and that you always will believe in them and that you're, you're, you want to partner with them. I ask, Lord, that they would leave this place on fire for you, that they would bring dominion wherever they go this week, Lord, every place that we tread our feet, like the Israelites, we claim the land for you. We trod on the enemy's head. We bring your kingdom. And all God's people said, 
Amen.